Welcome once again to another fantastic episode of the Business Creators Radio Show. We help business creators like you win at the game of business and marketing so you can thrive from your intersection of your brilliance and your passion and make a difference for your community, market, and audience. Please take a moment and visit our website at www.businesscreatorsradioshow.com. You will find hundreds of episodes covering a breadth and depth of topics relevant to you as a business creator and links to subscribe via your favorite network so you get fresh episodes delivered straight to you. And now let's dive in. My name is Adam Homie. I'm your host. I'm honored by your wise decision to tune in and invest in yourself today. What we're going to be covering in this episode is a topic that comes up for a lot of folks who are business creators. Sometimes this emerges very early in the business development cycle. And just as often we see it happening once you've been in business for a while and perhaps some of the revolutionary enthusiasm has kind of seeped away and you've come to a certain point in the marketplace and you feel like no matter what you do, you keep ending up on the same plateau. It's like that movie, Groundhog Day, playing over and over and over again. So what we're going to do today is we're going to have a conversation about how to disrupt stagnant business models and drive innovation for organizational growth. And to take us down this path, I have with us Laurel Lau, who is a digital nomad and executive coach and founder of Six Atlas. Together, with her global agile team, I love that word agile, Laura works with impact-driven organizations and purpose-driven executives to assess their innovation capabilities and adjust to take advantage of innovation in today's ever-changing global marketplace. Born in Hong Kong but educated in the United States, Laurel has spent her life navigating changing environments and cultural expectations, and she taps into the lessons she's learned as she's worked to empower and works to empower conscious leadership in her clients to best serve their organizations in a world of innovation. Wow. I'm not sure I'm eligible to be here, and this is my show. So, Laurel, Lau, come on in. The weather's fine. <laughs> Hi, Adam. How's it going? Thanks for the intro. Couldn't be better if you paid me a million dollars, but you should try that just to test the theory. <laughs> All right, here's what we do here at Business Creators Radio before we dive in. At this point, some of our listeners may be opening separate browser tabs. They may be going to sixatlas.com. They may be binging the Yahoo out of the Googles looking to discover more about Laurel Lau, which I will spell for you, L-A-U-R-E-L space L-A-U. You're welcome. And we mentioned just a little bit about your origin story in the official bio, which I read out in such pompous, stentorian tones. But let's take a step back and let's set the stentorialism aside and just discover more about Laurel and what's brought you through your experiences to the point you are right now, where you serve business creators from your intersection of your brilliance and your passion and make a difference for your community market and audience. Yeah, I really love what I do. I really do. Um, But it's really from navigating my own career path and understanding what keeps me ticking. Um, And it's been an amazing journey being able to work in so many different places and collaborate in such 
intercultural, intergenerational Mm -hmm. spaces uh, that I discover that it is easy for me to figure out how people take and where they should be and where their work should be. Um, And it, it brings me to a point of I should do it as a consultant. It would be really fun for me. You know, I do coaching and consulting too, and I've discovered that many folks don't know what makes themselves tick. Yeah. So it's kind yeah. of it's a kind of a gift for us to be able to help them figure it out. And many times we don't even know the answers either, obviously, because we're not them. And for us, it's a matter of helping them discover what they kind of already know, but just can't see. Yeah. And I think everyone sees it differently and through different lens, you can reflect what you see of them. But that lens that you add on is always going to be a little bit unique. And uh, that reflection and that uh, that clarity that you give the other person is super valuable. And it helps people to understand the uniqueness of the individual and contributing to uh, a corporation or a group in larger scale. You know what I've discovered leads to stagnation sometimes, Mm. especially when it comes to small, medium-sized businesses. It went through a startup phase. It went through a revolutionary growth phase. It have now Mm. hit a certain plateau that has led to stagnation. I went through this myself, as I've shared in so many episodes of Business Creators Radio, and many people I know have gone through the same thing, is they started a business, and it went very well for a while. And then they got burned out on it. They became apathetic about it. In my case, I began to have fantasies about the business exploding and just being blown away because I became that dissatisfied with it, which set off my three-year journey of figuring out what I wanted to be when I grew up. Here's the trend I've noticed in thinking about some of these stories and comparing the elements, that folks will begin businesses based on who's willing to hand the money right now and who's willing to refer prospects who are ready to hand over money right now. So they build this business, it goes into rapid growth mode, they're building the airplane while it's flying, and at some point along the line, they realize that this is not what they ever signed up for, that they never even really wanted to do this, that there was a lot of opportunity, and it seemed like fun at the time, and to a degree it was enjoyable, but this wasn't the the vacation they scheduled. This wasn't the cruise they booked. This wasn't the adventure that they signed up for. And they and it leads to stagnation because they don't find themselves brilliantly and passionately oriented to grow the damn thing. So I mean if you found if you found any of that in your work. Yeah, that's really interesting of how you put it. Um of of how business owners when they follow that direction of the business itself and where the money is coming in what has been defined as freedom initially is no longer freedom anymore so it it comes at a point where you you just hit a wall and you've created a a gel that you don't understand why you're in uh which 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 has a very different meaning it looks it may look really bright and shiny on the outside, but it just looks differently inside. So yeah, I definitely see it. And, um, and it's also the point of like connecting your own purpose with the work itself. And of course, um, it just, I think at this time when understanding the markets are changing and you need to understand which industry and 
the direction it's going. I think it's um, it's very important to be able to look a little bit deeper in being able to see uh, what questions you're not asking to be able to see uh, how do you need to be responding to the uh, what your customers and what the market is changing and also your inner purpose is um, how it's bubbling up to be able to answer all those needs all together. Um, but yeah, like how I'm curious, how did you figure out um, of where your next direction had to be? You're asking me how I did it? Yeah. How, how did okay. you do it? For yeah. a while, I gave myself the freedom to allow it to come naturally because I did have clients I enjoyed working with. I did have some work that I enjoyed doing and I did yeah. have the business creators radio show, which in yeah. all candor is my primary networking tool. So yeah. I was able to attract new business. I was able to get speaking opportunities, online opportunities. So I was yeah. able to keep things going and keep the lights on in that respect. Ultimately, I recognized that there were a lot of things that either burned my own uh, burn my oatmeal or grinded my gears or whatever phrase you want to use uh, yeah. celebrations I wanted to make. So I made a commitment to myself that for 90 days, I would blog about whatever was on my mind related to what I thought I wanted to do in business and life. There was no specific audience avatar. There was no upsell conversion goal. There was no major brand to it. It is a very simple website with a very simple name. And I just committed that for 90 days, I was in a blog once a day. And I started a, a, a Facebook discussion group and a couple of other social media channels to promote the posts for audience building purposes. But the whole point was to write. And at the end of the 90 days, I went back and looked at what I had created over those 90 days and logged into the WordPress admin of the blog site and organized those posts into categories. Those categories became chapters in my book, Groundhog Day is an Event, Not a Business Strategy. And now, I, through the, doing that process, I reconnected to where my intersection of my brilliance and my passion truly lie and the difference that I wanted to make for my community, market, and audience. I'll tell you the greatest compliment I've ever gotten on my, on my Groundhog book is when somebody who's a friend of mine, he came to one of my book signings, he bought a copy, and he got back to me a few days later and said he had been sitting out on his deck reading the book and he couldn't stop laughing out loud because he could hear me saying the words he was writing that he was reading in the book because it was just so authentically the way I present things. Mm -hmm. And when I was able to elicit that reaction in somebody, I recognized that I was channeling my intersection of my brilliance and my passion. That's how I did it. And w w what was different? afterwards when you when you finished the 90 days and 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 made it made it complete as a well I'll, t I'll tell you this Laurel um after seven years of explaining over and over again that no I no longer own a website development firm because I used to own one and I shut it down in 2010 mm -hmm. after mm -hmm. seven years I finally got people to stop asking me how much how much I charge to put up a damn squeeze page that was the biggest change of all, if you want to know, candidly. But if you want me to take that one step further, uh, I also discovered that I was now getting attention for my expertise in areas like virtual team building, um, using technology to simplify business operations, and the power of persuasion and influence 
by how we use our words, which are three things that I love doing and I love helping people with. Because I spent three months presenting myself in the areas where I felt the intersection of my brilliance and my passion without stopping to ask what those areas were and just allowing it to flow freely, I reconnected with them. And in sharing out with the world, I got people used to the idea of hearing me be an expert in those areas. So I became identified with it. Amazing. Amazing that you, you saw a path for you to like show your authentic voice in, in a way that highlights your business also. Yeah. Yeah. Candidly, I was kind of at wit's end. Uh, I have a fantastic business coach and he's helped me make literally hundreds of thousands of dollars over the years I've worked with him. I praise him to the skies. And I also give him credit that for a while there, he was a sort of wit's end because I couldn't find the answer to this question. So the idea of just blogging for 90 days with no avatar, no upsell, goal, no commitment, other than to do the 90 days, was me in the time feeling like I was grasping at a straw saying, Hey, I've tried all this other stuff that's supposed to work and it hasn't answered the question. So I'll try this. What the hell? And it turned out to be something that not only changed my life, but I've also used in my work with others to help them find their way through the same journey. Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely, uh, it's definitely super interesting when you face a time of change and you find just one thing to focus in on to give your creativity uh, to drive the change itself, like something good will come out of it. And I think it's being able to stay in the flow that you discover what element you're missing uh, in your work or life uh, to be able to amplify both sides. So that's so cool to hear your, your, your business transformation as well as your personal journey through it. Um, yeah. Uh, they kind of work together. Yeah, absolutely. And I think we're all discovering that as so many people have experienced that work from home and, and being able to deal with so many changes that ha- <laughs> has been like forced upon us. Like, yeah. And at a certain point, maybe people wish that it happened naturally or out of their choice, but, um, but it's, it's, uh, very interesting to see how people are responding to it and and uh learning to adapt and learning to change and um from my side i've gone to a lot of different meetings and communities and and seeing how people respond and what questions are people asking and um it's interesting because i launched my book right at the time when the whole of europe closed down and when yeah and so that was absolutely crazy to see. Originally, the book was called Upside Down. I don't think I really knew what I was like meant to say uh, yeah. through Upside Down. But, uh, but I think the, the meaning of work, um, the meaning of wellness and health has totally changed through, through the lens. And um, I think reflection and reflection, a point uh, – at a point of time of change, uh, be able to drive one action every single day that's both per personal and both for business, um, especially for small business owners, is like super valuable to be able yeah. to keep the momentum going and to know that you are creating that impact or or driving uh, driving a message forward um, and, and being able to amplify that voice is like super inspiring um, to see. And I, I see, I've seen a lot of people um, 
taken the chance to do something new um, out of out of the crisis itself, and it's good to see. And um, also, there's just so many opportunities uh, that come out of all of this. And I've seen people change their business, and um, it forced my clients to speed up their tra- uh, business transformation. I would say like twenty times. Um, it's just absolutely huge opportunity and the the whole sense of economical order uh is completely changed it gives people um it gives people time and room to be able to say this is how much of this is not working has not been working and of course because of all i think there's so much trust that's been lost i think um it's knowing that you can count on that one habit or that one thing you're doing that's driving, driving you through that transformation that helps people to understand um, what they're, what they're driving towards. And I think giving yourself a time limit of like 90 days, that's fantastic. Um, And yeah, so, I mean, from what we do for our clients, uh, there are ways that we drive that habit itself. And I think there are different ways about doing it. And uh, one of the ways that we do it is helping people uh, drive their innovation process differently and help people to make sure that their habits, uh, that they habits and questions that they're uh, uh, driving within their meetings every single, every single day. And I've, um, I've worked really hard to uh, uh, make that link a very visible aspect of of their daily daily meetings, and um, the experiment still goes on. <laughs> so we'll we'll see how far uh, they can achieve. Yeah, you know, it's nothing like a little pandemic to get us all to stop and think about what we're doing. Yeah, and oh, and, and it's so strange. It's absolutely so unreal. Um, yeah, I I wonder what are the 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 possible um, other things that we need to consider and and prevent and predict, be able to predict incoming. Um, it's it's one thing to to stop one one crisis or um, and it's yeah, there's a lot to be considered fully yeah. in in large organizations and and small businesses also. Um, yeah, 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 no disagreement here at all. Uh, a few moments ago, you mentioned something about how people don't know the questions that they are supposed to ask as they're going through their discovery. Did I get that right? Yeah, I, I think um, I think a lot of times in reflection, whether it be business or personal, um, the there are questions that we're not asking. A lot of times there are the why questions. So much of business as usual, we're focusing on the how and the day-to-day, um, the day-to-day tasks. And sometimes as an, as a manager, as employees, you don't get to ask the bigger questions. Um, but when a crisis or like a uh, emerging problem shows up and it needs to be solved, um, even even asking why to a certain level doesn't get you to the depth of what the problem is actually happening um, and, and being able to solve the problem itself. So being able to have a facilitator is really helpful. A coach or facilitator or consultant is really helpful in that you will 
you have a more objective view of what is actually happening. Oh, you just you just planted so many seeds right there and just opened so many doors. I, I, I'm jotting down a couple things real quick, so I want to make sure I hit a couple things. Um, yeah. First of all, let's start with let's start with my experience in the MBA program, uh, Masters in Business Administration at Duquesne University, well nigh 20 years ago. One of the courses we needed to take was uh, on, it was part of the uh, required curriculum before you got into your concentration on solving business problems based on cases from the Harvard Business Review. Yeah. Uh, now, let me begin by defining who the avatar was of an MBA student in the Duquesne University MBA program at that time. This, these were largely people, and I know different MBA programs are different, but in this case, these were largely people that had full-time jobs, were already on their way in their careers, and maybe about half the cases their company was paying for it or giving them tuition reimbursement, and then the other half of the cases, they were doing it because they wanted to break into more managerial or directorial type roles. Either way, these are people who, by and large, did not just dump, jump straight from undergrad and go straight to graduate school. In fact, uh, I remember how I got involved in the MBA program is after I graduated from undergrad, why I went through an earlier phase of trying to figure out what I wanted to be when I grew up, I worked uh, as a recruiter for a temporary staffing agency, a job that was so freaking awful that my chapter in the book uh, Journeys to Success Millennial Edition is all about how I celebrate the day I quit that job is my second birthday, April 27th of this year. But I digress. Um, <laughs> uh, notice, notice how many seeds I keep planting as I go through this. Now you know about my other book and every other damn thing. But anyway, getting back to the, getting back to this, um, as a recruiter working at Temp Staffing Agency, I made a connection with a professor at Duquesne University who helped people locate jobs and. He was aware of people who were highly qualified, but between jobs or what have you, who could be open to temporary assignments to fill in gaps or to get them moving toward a permanent position. So one day I'm on the telephone with him and he, and he shares a question with me, which is, he asked me if I thought that I would consider myself a candidate for the MBA program. And I said, well, you know, I've been out of college for two years now, and they, but, uh, and since I'm out of school, that means I kind of can't go back. And he said, that's absolutely ridiculous. You're exactly who we're looking for. Somebody who's actually gone out there and sees what's going on and wants to be part of the vanguard and making things better. So you absolutely, and I applied and I got into the program, obviously. So that's the avatar. Now, going back to this business problems class, and we were, Every week, we'd uh, analyze another case study from the Harvard Business Review, and there, it was taught by two professors. One of them was a guy who just, he was an awesome dude. I, I loved the guy, and he also loved to hear himself talk, and he liked Grey Goose Vodka a hell of a lot. Then there was another who was kind of quiet. The other professor was kind of quiet. He'd normally just kind of sit there and he'd listen to what was going on. And in one case, you know, people were standing up, sharing all their thoughts about this one case review and the, and the guy just you know just interrupted and started waving his hands the second professor he said guys whatever I've heard all this shit before because this is what you're supposed to say when you're trying to persuade your bosses I don't care did any of you bother to think when you're looking at this damn case study to ask the business owner if she even wanted to be in that business hmm. the point being and I know I went from a lot of words to a moment of silence 
because I want us to contemplate, contemplate. The point being, it didn't occur to 40 MBA students, 38 of whom were working for companies already dealing with issues like this. It didn't occur to the other professor. It didn't occur to anybody else in the room. So look at that case study. Look at the owner of that business who was facing a time of change and a time when it was very necessary to do some organizational shifts. And, and I think her name was, we'll call her Molly, and say, Molly, do you even want to be in this business? So if nobody knew to ask that question and she didn't know to ask it of herself, what other questions do people not ask because they don't know they need to ask them? I'm bringing this, that this is, in, in, my, in my elliptical way, I'm bringing this all back to that point that you made that I zeroed in on of people not knowing what questions. Yeah, absolutely. And, and it's so strange for me to see always this line and this box of people knowing what they can say and what they cannot say in a certain setting that totally diminishes what what extent of impact that businesses can do um but yeah i i hear you on that that uh people have gone through that uh, professional career and not be able to see what is actually occurring as uh the source of the challenge itself uh, right. that's impacting the the business owner right and so, so go ahead mm -hmm. Go ahead. So, so what happened in the end, like in, in that situation, in the end? Well, it's a typical MBA case study. We never knew the answer. That's the thing about, <laughs> that's the thing about MBAs. We love to ask the questions, but uh, we leave the solution open. In fact, part of the point of that level mm -hmm. of education and that style of practice is that there is no one right answer because you keep the situation fluid. If you make a decision today, you can make another decision tomorrow. Right. Yeah. So, uh, and that's, that's, that's been part of my practice over the past 20 years or so. So we're almost halfway through and looking at this from a very personal individual level, uh, I think yeah. we've seen a few ways where we can get stagnation in business because the innovation and the brilliance and the passion kind of go away. And this is where some of your work, Laurel, starts to come in. So let's begin by defining a term. Uh, you do something or involved in something called conscious leadership training. Can you explain that for us, please? Uh, it's basically teaching managers and leaders on emotional intelligence and be uh -huh. able to understand how do you have presence um, when you're mentoring, when you're managing, and be able to connect the dots a little bit differently and, and be able to help people collaborate. Um, yeah, so that's how I use it for my training. Uh, of course, there, there's many ways of going about and how to focus on it. Um, yeah. Right. And I think that when it comes to that level of thought, management, leadership, and communication, we made allusions to this just a moment ago that people find themselves, and I'm paraphrasing here, I may not be hitting it exactly, but the general idea is they they phrase things in a certain way in their workplace because of that office politics bullshit, which is a reason why I was long time ago labeled unemployable. 
boy, I tell you, they called me all kinds of names in my performance evaluation. And I think you've picked up sort of an undercurrent of the Business Creators Radio Show. The part of what wakes me up when nothing else does is just the opportunity to hand it right back. And I do that on behalf of everybody who is trying to find their brilliance and their passion and is looking for a sensei to guide them down that path. And they're in a place where they feel like they're being silenced. They feel like they're being muted. And by using my voice in a way that some folks have candidly told me is a bit controversial, I provide them a conduit to begin to explore for themselves, is this really where they need to be when they grow up? And how do they get past stagnation and move to innovation and growth? Right. Yeah, I think uh, individuality is a very... Uh, it's not something that people experience through their professional career often. And so it's great to see that you have helped so many business owners be able to uh, uh, find their, find their way of, of, of uh, being the expert in their field and seeing how they can serve differently. Yeah. In your experience, Laurel, how can you create a more innovative culture with phenomenal employee engagement? I think uh, a huge part of it is getting the top management to, or part of the top management to actually uh, be honest about the problems that they are facing and be able to talk candidly of what direction they, they want the business to go into. Right. And so giving understanding why the company needs to innovate is like the starting point of uh, my work with, uh, whether it be startups or medium-sized company and being able to direct the company in the right direction. But there is so many different elements that comes into deciding what is the right culture and leadership. And for every business, it's going to be different. You can't all just skyrocket, like jump, change a culture a huge huge distance from where it had been uh it's knowing like where it has been where is it now where should it go in the future and a lot of time it's almost like the same way that someone um a person going through a personal journey uh learning to transform their body mind and spirit it's the same way of like going back in time and understanding where it's been locked um what happened then what was the culture then what was what were the the reason for business decisions and what was uh what was the trauma then and understanding why does it make sense right now to have the same culture to have the same mindset and knowing what they need to change it into you know, I, it's been my contention pretty much all along that I would say the majority of policies and procedures that we find in companies and organizations are permanent, overrea- are permanent overreaching overreactions to temporary one-off flips on the radar screen that in many cases are driven by people needing to take responsibility and be proactive Whereas, Wait, what, what do you mean by all of that? Like, I, I don't get the full gist. Uh, okay, so, yeah. so let's say in the, in, the, in the course of your business operation, some little thing goes wrong. And, you know, you know it happens to everybody. And I'm, I'm going to come up with a, an extremely oversimplistic an- example, but I've actually seen this sort of thing play out. Let's say that a company is sending out emails to its opt-in subscribers. And an email goes out and the link that, that the reader is supposed to click on is broken. You ever heard of that before? Yeah. 
Now, there are a couple different ways you can approach that situation. Uh, in fact, I can name three. One is you just, and I know a, a client of mine does this. If he ever sends out with an email with a broken link in it, he just shrugs and says, oh, well. If anybody writes to him requesting the correct link, he'll respond to him individually. But outside of that, you know, just went out wrong. Too bad. So bad. Um, and the second approach, which is where a lot of people fall, is they'll send a correction email like, oops, we were so excited to get this out to you that we had a little boo-boo in the link. We're so sorry about that. Here's the correct link. Go check it out now. Pretty rational approach. Right. Everybody makes mistakes once in a while. And then you see companies and organizational structures and leadership styles that will not be willing to send out that type of correction, that, that type of simple oops, the link was broke, here's the correct one. We're humans like everybody else because they're afraid they'll be humiliated in the, in the eyes of the marketplace, which believe me, doesn't happen. Uh, even for the case studies where they say it happens, it doesn't happen, not over a broken link. But then what these organizations will do is they will go through the list of everybody who's responsible with that email and have them submit statements admitting to their portion of the blame and responsibility and itemizing in long lists the actions they themselves will be taken to ensure that we never again have a broken link go out. So then what you have in the organization is the organization stops communicating with its opt-in subscribers on its mailing list because in reaction to an oopsie, there are now 19 review steps involving seven people to get an email out the door. And in the end, uh, they just don't end up sending emails because it's just too much. That would be to me an example of stagnation. So scenario number three is what I think of is the permanent overreaching, overriding response to a little blip on the radar screen. I gave an overly simplistic example, but can you think of situations where some little thing came up once and the company decided to turn itself on its head to make sure that there was accountability and responsibility. Yeah, I, I think it's a, it is a huge problem in workplace where not all workplaces are like that, but where in workplace that only failures Failures are condoned very heavily yeah. and it's not necessarily to find a solution or find a pathway to solution or find where their goal should be set at, um, but just condoning the, the person, the team, the, the product or the department, whatever is required to get to the point of like someone is there to blame. Um, and I don't find that super helpful. It makes people want to hide their mistakes, want to change their data, want to fake their way into getting to the right solution. And yep. that doesn't give you a solid, it doesn't, it doesn't make systems and process right uh, when you have yeah. the culture that's set to uh, make sure that people are not uh, fully honest with each other, right? Like, and right. not fully trusting each other in their ability to produce something uh, great and, and be able to communicate uh, what is needed and what is required to get the job done right. Yeah, in my, in my oversimplistic example, to me, the, uh, uh, to me, if the organization is structured in a way that supports innovation and growth and avoids stagnation, then that person who 
click send on that email that had the broken link would have enough trust place in them and enough flexibility to on their own send a quick oops sorry about that here's a correct link email on their own without checking with anybody get that email out so everybody has a correct link and then go to whoever needed to know and say we had a minor issue the link was broken by send a correction and the worst that they hear about that is okay just be more careful next time right yeah it's it's um it's definitely if people had more uh, more freedom to be able to act at that point to, to correct a mistake, that would be uh, great for uh, better collaborations to be able to help promote a culture that's right. Um, yeah. How, how do you see going forward um, during and how, I guess, like the times are changing and people are reacting to uh, crisis of COVID uh, very yeah. strongly. Uh, what do you see in the future of like how people can adapt uh, their mindset about how how an employee or how a team member should function? Are you interviewing me on my show? No, <laughs> seriously, ask me the question because I'm happy to answer it. Yeah, go ahead. Okay, um, and I want to hear your answers on this too, but I'll, I'll give you a few thoughts. I think that remote working and working from home are finally going to come into their own. And once we see that many companies are able to function just fine without incidents statistically by letting people log in via remote VPNs or whatever the technology is for a secure connection, and they see the productivity remains the same or even in some cases improves, that people will actually stay logged on, they will stay responsive and they will get their job done, they will hit their deadlines and will hit their targets without having to sit in a cube farm all day, that when they say, okay guys, you can come back to work, a lot of folks are gonna rebel and say, no, I'm staying home. And now they'll, they'll, and they'll, and they'll say, well, I've been working from home for six weeks now and, and I, think, uh, I think you'll agree that my productivity has actually improved. So I'm not going to come back to your cube farm. No, it's, uh, I, I'm enjoying this. I'm, I'm staying here. And uh, oh, and by the way, if you don't like it, there's this other company that has sent their headhunters and they've told me that I can go work for them for 5% more and I can work from home. So what's it going to be? I think you're going to see a good bit of that. I think you're going to see some areas and overall in employee empowerment because it's going to be demonstrated that the whole cubicle farm culture is going to be exposed for what I it is and I've been of the beliefs ever since I graduated college and began working that cubicle farm cult cubicle farm culture if I pronounce that right is basically the poison that murders businesses hmm. yeah. so I think I think you're going to see a big long overdue revolt against that and i cannot wait i think another thing we're going to see is we're going to see a major emphasis on areas of lean and agile when it comes to process management and i believe that's going to create huge opportunities for the change management industry because this is about the most obvious example you can get of the need for a consistent change management plan and strategy already in place within the organization. Mm 
uh, using something that uh, the Teresa Moulton of Change Management Review, who's also on Business Creators Radio Show, would refer to as a change center of excellence, a CCOE, which is a permanent part of the organization and is in place to make sure that factors that support innovation, growth, and combat stagnation are not only in place, but are infused with the operations of the business on an ongoing basis. I think you're going to see a big shift toward that for companies that haven't already done it. Furthermore, I think the third thing we're going to see, and I think this is very important, is we're going to see a recognition that people are human beings. They are not a set of bullet points on a job description. And for God's sake, their value as a living organism is not determined by their position on some damn organizational chart. Because people have had to be flexible, because people have had to take on new things that nobody thought they would have to take on and have done well with them, we're going to see an empowerment culture where people say, I don't care what my job description says. I can be so much more to you. Oh, and if you don't like it, my, your competitor will like it. And you're going to see a significant shift in the paradigm towards those people and organizations who are ready to innovate, who are ready to move forward, who are ready to grow. And in the medium to long term, you're going to see that stagnation subsides dramatically. That's my take. Uh, yeah, that's so cool. You can tell I've been ramping up for this one. <laughs> uh, yeah, I like, I totally agree with uh, that remote work can be the norm for a lot more people and that it will, it will empower employees and be able to change the dynamic. Um, uh, yeah, I totally agree on that point. I think the, I think also throughout this time, um, the influence of the younger generation, more Gen Z than anyone, uh, will be clearly de demonstrated of the way that they're educating their parents about uh, social media and how to how to uh, communicate digitally. So, um, yeah, there's a lot to look forward to, and um, yeah, I think a lot of changes are happening. Yeah, I think if you look at uh, I think if you look at the COVID pandemic and everything else that that in itself is going to be an antidote to stagnation because in very real time we are seeing revealed the areas of stagnation and when we have this conversation about what's essential versus non-essential this is shining the light on things that people have tried to keep in the shade for decades in many cases but they can't hide from it anymore because businesses need to run at the optimum of lean and agile. Yeah. And I think there, if you're just talking about stagnation, I think it's not necessarily the right, uh, the right way of describing of how people had to react or like, um, or the state of the business itself, I guess. Uh, I think in understanding how people cope with shock and, and, and uh, traumatic experience and understanding how people respond to crisis. I think there's a large population that has to deal with grief and be able to cope with it. So managers will have to deal with it. But um, on the larger scale, I think uh, 
what wins at the end are, are the people who know how to lead um, everyone throughout the change itself and know how to uh, keep empowering and be able to navigate by understanding also how they relate their personal journey with the, the, their corporate career or their, their business journey. So, um, yeah, I think, I think um, an ex- is an exciting time, but also a time to be able to take in and reflect and really have a greater empathy for, um, yeah. for the world at large. So, All right. Let's know. focus on empathy for a little bit. Uh, regardless of how dramatic the need for changes, whether it's a, a pandemic, uh, an acquisition, a merger, or just a, a focus on changing the revenue picture of the organization, new technology, yeah. change in the marketplace, anything. When you have innovation, what do employees in your experience tend to complain about most during the innovation process and how can you manage this? Because people are going to be complaining. Uh, So at initial point, it's more the top management that complains, right? Because I talk to them first. Uh Um, But but the the top management usually talks about – how they don't trust the employees to be able to uh, step up and deliver more. And there are a lot of them that are overworked and so you can't give them more to do, right? But throughout training, what I've found is that uh, it's easy to change the mindset and the culture uh, for the employees. It's more of the red tapes that we're dealing with. So Uh being able to uh, navigate what, what are the challenges of the of removing these red tapes and be able to find new policy that well suited or right partners to help in 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 uh, drawing the the right box and and reformatting the structure or the system or the process um, and be able to take that leap forward because uh, and you can't do it all at the same time uh, but it's good to be able to have the clear understanding of where you have been uh, to be able to know where you go to and the reason reason for why you're innovating. And, um, and at that point, you can make those switches and be able to have the right understanding of how to change the culture and leadership. Um, but yeah, I think every company would be different and you would have, uh, you would have companies that have that culture that's very... Uh, uh, very, uh, very nurtured where uh, the HR uh, coordinate very well with development teams to understand what type of candidates are, are the right fit and how yeah. to keep promoting that and, and be able to make sure that is very uh, nurtured and, and supported. You know, I, you've made me think about how some of the challenges and complaints may come from mid to upper level management. And when you say it the way you say it, it makes a lot of sense because they, according to a lot of the cultures that they experience just because of the way things are in their current state, will be held responsible for the success and failure of a directive they're handed from above. So because remember, it's never senior management's fault. It's always uh, it's always middle management and director level management. At least that's been the experience I've seen. Somehow it's always their fault when something goes wrong. And 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 I'm going to digress by saying if you're using the word like fault and blame, 
then that in itself is an impediment to innovation because that gets people covering their asses. And if I, and I've said so many times, I'm not interested in people covering their asses. You want to cover your ass, wear baggy clothes and a long coat. Other than that, come forward with what you, uh, come forward with your brilliance and your passion and what you contribute. So, and then when you have the middle management and the director level management that have complaints and may not be fully bought into the innovation process, then that's going to send a signal downward to their chains of direct reports. And there may be one, two or three levels below them that basically is, comes down to this. Do the window dressing of implementing this stuff so when senior management checks, they see, they see all the words on the paper and it looks like we did it. But just basically just keep on doing what you're doing. And uh, months from now, this will all blow over like it never happened. With all that in place, who would be motivated to innovate? I know, I know I am taking almost a dystopian view here, and that's why we're here, because we want to show people that it is possible to move beyond this. It is possible to get the middle and director level management on board because they themselves are, in many ways, the nucleus of the innovation in the organization. It starts with them, and it succeeds with them. Hmm. Yeah, it's, I, think it, I think for every company, it's really different, and the landscape going to keep changing um, yeah. for, for the company itself, but to have a right picture of where the company's at um, and in the landscape, almost if you were to take a survey and get all the data point and, and be able to see what are the missing pictures and be able to ask better questions. Um, yeah. yeah, you're totally right. I think there's, there's that sense of nucleus of who can be the, the next person to next team to like ignite all of it i think it would be great if every everyone who has the will to be more creative uh to have that space uh that that space to uh be able to contribute in that way i think um minimize like limiting uh people's per uh potential by uh, slapping on a performance review and saying that they are only what the that how much they fulfill that job description or how much they fulfill that number um, is 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 really minimizing like the the value of human uh, and and the contribution that uh, a group can make together and so yeah. Uh, yeah I look forward to to seeing more changes up and coming and and being able to help more businesses with uh, problems that they're facing and, and creating more space and creating more opportunity for everyone. You know, funny thing about performance reviews, and this is not a global role, but I've, I've had this happen to me and I've seen it happen with other folks is when it comes to that, you know, that annual performance review that determines your cost of living, I mean, excuse me, raise, that really they've already decided how much money they have to give you as a quote unquote raise. And it's the person conducting the review's job to make the review fit the amount of money that's available. In fact, in fact, I had uh, in one of my jobs before I became an entrepreneur, I had my supervisor just come right out and say that, uh, you know, I'd, I'd like to give you the full 5% here, but I was informed by finance that the most money we have for you is 3%. So no matter how good I think you're doing, I had to find a couple things on here that uh, put them under the needs improvement category because I had to justify 3% because that's all the money I have for you. 
boy, did that inspire me. But I'll tell, but I'll tell you, but I'll tell you where else that that turned around is um, then uh, two years down the road with that same supervisor. And this is a point where I probably should have like moved on at that point because I I was just wrapping up my MBA. It was time for me to get promoted or do something anyway. Now he has concerns about my job performance. Uh, part of it, I think, was because I took on a lot of extra stuff over that previous year, and then I had somebody try to start some political nonsense with me. Uh, thing, I think you know what I'm talking about. And um, and uh, he's going on and on and on about all these areas where I need improvement. And I only had two questions. Number one, if this was such a huge burning issue for all these months, why didn't I hear word one about it until now? That's number one. And number two, you told me a couple of years ago that uh, you've already been told how much money you can give me. So just write up however you need to. Tell me what it's going to be and I'll sign it. Hmm. So yeah. when that is, and that, and that, and I have not just revealed some closely held secret. It's fairly well known that performance reviews are sometimes crafted to fit the amount of money that's available. That's actually a fairly common thing, whether one wants to believe it or not. I've heard the stories all the time. So with that, knowing that somebody's looking at their performance review and they have this suspicion in the back of their mind that there really isn't that much money available for them anyway, what's going to inspire them to innovate? What's going to inspire them to move past stagnation other than looking for another job? Because I will tell you that same supervisor that I went through those two rounds with was actually one of the most innovative and innovative and inspirational people I have ever worked for. And I give him a lot of credit for where I am today. Mm. But even he was in a bind. Mm. Yeah, it would uh, be really t interesting to see as people are becoming more honest about the limitation of what, um, what it had looked like work had looked like uh, to be able to create more flexible work options for everyone involved. And so that these things don't become something political and um, a way to hide information or, um, or to, to make rational so-called logical reasons for everything and yeah. be able to be a little bit more honest uh, in, in how we can be more productive, the real meaning of like pr being productive together uh, without diminishing like human value uh, yeah. and, and, and human contribution. So right. yeah, it'd be interesting to see that. And I'll say again, when I mentioned that supervisor, I had all those dealings with when it comes to performance evaluations, I'll repeat it once again. One of the most inspirational and innovative people I know who found himself, um, you know, caught within a certain game where there was only so much he could possibly do. In fact, when I look back at all the people I worked for before I became an entrepreneur, he is actually the one who stands out. And he even said to me during, you know, during the two and a half years I worked for him, he said, he said, you know, I know I piss you off sometimes, but I'm not really as interested in how you feel about me today as how you feel about me in the long run. My goal is to have us do a good job working together now and work together productively. And I hope that somewhere down the line, something that I impress upon you now will really help you in a situation down the road. Well, here we are 20, well, here we are 20 years later, and uh, we're using some of his lessons to help people zero in on potential causes of stagnation that are not often spoken about and move toward innovation in their organizational growth. So I thank the guy.
Yeah, it's good that he impacted you in that way, and that yeah. the, that that you still remember uh, the interactions and the impact he has made. Yeah, um, well, yeah, well, by profession, he was a behavioral health counselor, so he was used to dealing with people over a long period of time and seeing progress that happened incrementally and knowing that sometimes people didn't actually have the aha moments until sometimes 10 or 15 years later where he would hear from previous clients of his when even when he wasn't even doing the counseling anymore who would get back to him and say hey you know the thing you told me during our one session that just changed my life and I want to let you know thank you mm. that's it that's amazing to hear and that's why we're here also chatting yeah chatting along and chat, sharing stories and, and be able to learn from each other. I think that's, that's the reason you never know uh, what that one story can do. Precisely. Precisely. So we've had so much fun here and uh, I would love to keep this going for another hour, but unfortunately we're at the top of the one we have. We may need to have you back sometime, Laurel. Uh, but in the meantime, be fun. in the meantime, let's, uh, let's close this up by uh, giving you the floor for one moment. Uh, it's my understanding you have a little something for our listeners who have invested themselves by listening today. Yeah, sure. So uh, I will share with Adam uh, a link so that uh, the audience can uh, click into and download a free book if you follow the instructions. Uh, it's a book that I've just finished. Uh, it is, uh, it's before COVID that I, I just finished it. So, uh, but it does have uh, value for people uh, trying to figure out how to pivot and how to uh, align innovation, uh, culture, leadership, and strategy for the company. Wow. And uh, what's the link? I will share the link with you um, and you'll be able to share with them. Sorry, I just can't say it. Ooh, it's a little surprise. Okay, so here's, so here's, what, you do, here's what you do. Here's what you do. Um, by the time you finish listening to this for our listeners, go back to this episode that's listed on businesscreatorsradioshow.com and you will see the link there. I promise it will be there. So go to, go ahead and check that out. I think I know what it is actually, but since I believe you're uh, having us go back and check, that's perfectly fine. Um, all right. So Laurel Lau, yeah. thank you so much for being with us today. It's yeah, been an honor so and an it's education, believe me. Thank you. You all right. shared so much with me also. All right. We trust you enjoyed today's episode of the Business Creators Radio Show. Check out our previous and our upcoming episodes on our website at www.businesscreatorsradioshow.com. While you're there, be sure to subscribe via your favorite network so you get fresh episodes delivered straight to you. Until next time, have a great day. Take care. <laughs>